Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, as we always do, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to the Sunday after Easter, the highest of the high holy days for associate rectors. <laughs> Every year, rectors the world over assign their associates this Sunday to preach because all the important services are over. So why not let the lowly associate have a shot? He can't do too much damage, right? Well, we'll just see about that. The truth, though, is because of this, actually, many rectors, I feel, miss the opportunity year after year to preach about what is, in my mind, one of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture, the story of Doubting Thomas's interaction with the risen Christ. This morning in John, we read this story of Thomas, a story with which we are all familiar. Thomas, of course, is not with the disciples when the resurrected Jesus appears to them for the first time. And when they tell Thomas of this amazing thing that they've seen, Jesus is alive, Thomas says, no way. Not until I see it with my own two eyes. Not until, he says, I reach out and put my fingers in the wounds in his hands. And my hand in the wound in his side. Only then could I possibly believe this ridiculous thing that you're trying to tell me is true. And then a week later, the disciples are once again together and Thomas is with them. And Jesus shows up again, and he says these powerful words to Thomas in John chapter 20 and verse 27. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Now, Jesus requires a lot of his followers, but this might be the most difficult one for us to actually deliver. Do not doubt, but believe. He commands us to feed the hungry. Fine. He demands unconditional love of God and of others. Okay. He says that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. All right, he's he's edging up to the line here. (laughs) He says to make disciples of all the nations— now, these things are tough, but maybe if we have some serious willingness, we can pull them off, at least on the surface, and if it only has to be for a few minutes. Any longer, of course, and we are in serious trouble. But here, Jesus seems to command Thomas, and therefore us, to have faith. Now, surely Jesus has gone too far this time. Have faith? I wish I could make myself have faith. It is, in fact, my fondest wish. I'd be a lot less worried about my future if I could just have 
faith whenever I wanted it. If I could have faith that I'd be a competent father. If I could have faith that my friends like me as much as I like them. If I could have faith that this is a really good sermon. In fact, if I could create faith in myself, I'd be a lot less worried about everything, wouldn't you? Doesn't the fact of our worry show us how little faith we actually have? Because faith is one of those things that we cannot create in ourselves. We either have it or we don't. We have faith that when the physician says you won't feel a thing, he's telling the truth. Or we don't have that faith. We have faith that when we say I love you, the person we love will say I love you too. Or we don't. We have faith that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter. Or we don't. And of course, the worst thing you can say to somebody who has no faith is, come on, have a little faith. It's like if someone's in a terrible mood, the worst thing you can say is, come on, lighten up. Now, of course, I've just said something awful. What I said was the worst thing you can say to somebody with no faith is have faith. But that's exactly what Jesus says to Thomas in our reading this morning. Do not doubt, but believe. Have faith. But Jesus is doing something more. I want to suggest that Jesus is not only, not simply giving Thomas a commandment. He's not just telling Thomas to have faith. Jesus is here also making a pronouncement. He's announcing that Thomas now has faith. Jesus, of course, has already shown Thomas the marks in his hands. He's already offered Thomas the wound in his side. It's as if at a restaurant, your server noticed you were thirsty and brought over a tray of waters and said, do not thirst, have water. They've brought the thing that is required. Thomas has already become acquainted with the wounds of Jesus Christ. It would now be almost meaningless for Jesus to command Thomas to have faith. You better have faith. Thomas doesn't need a commandment to tell him about the nail marks in Jesus' hands. He doesn't need a lecture to tell him about the spear wound in Jesus' side. Thomas has felt and seen both. So more than telling Thomas to have faith, it's more like Jesus is saying, through my wounds, you have faith now. Jesus gives Thomas the thing that he's requiring. And this is the way our God works. He asks us for something impossible. Have faith. Do not doubt. And he asks us for the impossible to show us our need. To show us how much we doubt, how faithless we are. And then, in the body of his Son... Our Savior, he gives us the impossible thing for which he asked. He asks for faith and then bestows faith 
upon us. Now, Jesus didn't require anything of Thomas prior to showing up. He didn't say, oh, you of little faith. He didn't chastise Thomas for not having faith. He didn't tell James and John, you better get a message to Thomas to shape his act up or I'm not going to come back. Jesus just showed up, coming into a room in which the doors were locked. He does the same thing to us, breaking into the locked rooms of our hearts. Because this is important. Until Jesus showed up, Thomas did not believe. But Jesus turns this opportunity for a commandment. Have faith, Thomas said with a wagging finger, into an opportunity for a pronouncement. Something like, Thomas, now that you have seen my wounds, you have faith. Faith is my gift to you. Jesus turns the opportunity for a law, for a rule, for a lecture. Better have faith into the opportunity for the gospel, for a gift. Here are my wounds. I carry them for you. Thomas did not believe. And the risen Christ came to him personally, offering him his wounds, not only as mere proof that he had risen, but also as proof as a pronouncement of what had actually happened on the cross. It's instructive, in fact, that he still had those wounds. We can never forget the cross, the wounds that had been inflicted on Jesus, even as we celebrate his resurrection. His resurrected body still carried the wounds. And every Sunday, as we take Holy Communion, we remember his body and blood broken and shed for us. Our wounded Savior has given his wholeness to us. Now this story, this story of Thomas and Jesus is a widely misunderstood scripture. We read it and of course to our minds it seems very clear. Thomas did not have faith. Jesus shows up and Thomas is proven wrong. So what's the sermon we preach to ourselves? Don't be like Thomas. Don't make the mistakes that Thomas made. Let's have faith. Let's do better. Of course, this interpretation of the story misses not only the profound truth of Thomas's interaction with Jesus, but it misses the very good news of Christianity. Now, we think that it works simply. God gives us requirements, and we've got to follow them. And of course, the, one of the first ones he gives us is to have faith in him. And that's what gets Thomas in trouble. He fails in this commandment numero uno. So let's not be like Thomas. That makes sense to us. But we misunderstand. When we say, let's not be like Thomas, of course, that, that's a good thought. Good rule to live by. Don't be like Thomas. Amen and amen. But there's one little problem. It's too late for us. It's like me saying, I'm not going to love the movies. Or you saying, I'm not going to care about what other people think of me. Or like somebody you know saying, I'm not going to be angry at my in-laws. It's too late. 
I love the movies. We both, you and I, care desperately what other people think of us. And that friend of yours is already mad at their in-laws. This is the bad news. We are already of little faith. In our reading from 1 John, we read that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And we could easily retranslate to say, if we say we are not like Thomas, doubters, faithless, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. (laughs) We prayerfully admit this every week. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. You and I, we are the kings and queens of faithlessness. Doubting Thomas is our patron saint. John writes this story about Thomas's interaction with Jesus not to give us the story of a foolish man we should avoid imitating. John writes about Thomas to hold up a mirror in front of each one of us. So rather than being a cautionary tale of what not to be like. The story of Thomas is a story about what we are like. Jesus gives Thomas a great and impossible requirement to have faith. That's bad news. But he does more than that. Jesus has good news Two, he carries it with him on his palms. He carries it in his side. Jesus gives what is required. This is how God relates to us. He gives us requirements, but then he gives us what he has required. And this we call the gospel. The good news that in Christ, everything that is required of us is already given to us. Everything that we must do is already fulfilled. And the best part is that it doesn't depend on you. Even your faithfulness is not a requirement. Jesus comes to that locked room where Thomas doesn't believe. Faith comes after. Faith is a gift given to us. Jesus appears to Thomas in his unbelief. Now we, unlike Thomas, maybe won't get to see Jesus physically appear to us, but Jesus comes to us in our unbelief too. In our rebellion. In our sin. That's when Jesus shows up. St. Paul wrote in Romans about how Jesus came to save us while we were enemies of God. And this is the state that Thomas is in too. Jesus came to Thomas when he didn't believe, and he comes to us in the same way. He doesn't wait for us. He chases us down. He comes to us before we believe, and then holds out his wounded hands to us. And in those wounds, 
is the proof that when we were unfaithful, like Peter, who denied him three times, and when we were faithless, like Thomas, who refused to believe that Jesus was risen again, Jesus was full of faith. Jesus meets our faithlessness with his faithfulness, even to the point of going to the cross for our sins. It was his faithfulness that achieved the work of saving us. That we can now come together every week and say, I believe, I have faith, is a miracle, a pure gift from God. And it's this miracle that allows Thomas to respond with his great identification of Jesus, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas doesn't have to get to work now generating faithfulness. He doesn't have to practice being a more faithful person. He doesn't now have to really buckle down and try to do better. No. Jesus has come to him brandishing the wounds that saved Thomas from sin and death. Faithfulness is his. Jesus comes to you today brandishing the wounds that have saved you and me from sin and death. Faithfulness is ours. And this is why when we read about the wounds of Jesus, when we hear the pronouncement that by those wounds we, even we, are made whole, healed, and that the commandments are fulfilled, faithfulness is ours too. And we can and do say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. Amen.